podcast. That sounded like our podcast is going to be called Bad Opera. Hello and welcome to Bad Opera. I am your host, Edward Sir James III Esquire. Yes, I live in my mother's basement, but I'm very important. I have an old record player that no one's allowed to listen to. And a cat named Alto. (laughs) How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm good. I'm just getting over the flu. Uh, The flu? Yeah, I had the flu. And of course, like, I thought I had COVID. I was just, I was, I was just ready for them to wheel the respirator in. I was terrified. The flu, because I know that you were ill and that we had to delay this recording by two days. We did. Because you weren't feeling well. But I didn't realize that you actually think it was the flu. I think I, well, I, I, I had something. Well, I didn't have the fever, but I was bone tired and I had yeah. the worst headache and I just slept for two days. Yeah, but you're also working on like 17 different projects right now. <laughs> but it was, I was actually feeling really ill. And you know what happened was I slept so much that I made myself sicker because I got a really bad crick in my neck. Like I get neck pain if I sleep too long. Yeah. And, oh my God. Well, especially just, if you're in a deep sleep. That can it happen. was just a big cauldron of awful, but I'm, I'm coming out of it now. I, so you I feel, feel better? Yeah, and it's hot out. It's hot out, so it, it's it not, is. It's not, it's not helping. I I'm not regretting the heat. I'm enjoying the heat. Me neither. Because it's going to be darn cold here up in Canada very soon. It's funny because I have a lot of friends. Bonnie's one of them actually who really love this time of year, and I love autumn too. But all I see when I see autumn is the end of summer, and I see no more fresh food. Like no more locally grown food. Mm-hmm. I see sundown at five. Mm-hmm. I see no more gardens to look at when I go out for walks. And I just see cold and flu season and just waiting. I'll say this. In my mind's eye, I love the idea of the fall. Yes, I, I do think too. So where we are recording from is Ottawa, Canada, the, the capital of Canada. And we are blessed with being surrounded by nature. We're a large uh, sort of city, mid-sized city. We're just over a million people. But we are nestled on the majestic banks of the Ottawa River, which flows almost, I don't know if you know this, Riley, the Ottawa River, its origin is like way up north in northern Quebec. I didn't know that. Yes. And it like you could only ever get there by plane. There's nothing near where its source is. And it flows into the St. Lawrence River, which is the largest river in Canada and the United States. Well, not the largest river in the United States, but it, it there's portions of that river that divide the Canada from the United States. Yes, yes, because I've gone over the bridge. I've gone over the bridge many times into the U.S. Yeah, yeah, like New York State is bordered by, partly bordered by uh, the St. Lawrence, or is it New York State? Yeah, it's New York State. And then eventually it's the Great Lakes and things like that. But anyway, so Ottawa is great because it's got uh, the river and then it has this vast provincial uh, uh, and federal parks. We have the Gadneau Park. And if you ever are looking to sort of get that Canadian uh, experience in the fall where all the trees start to turn, you get vibrant reds and yellows and oranges it's to go there for a walk i love i do love those days where it's sunny and it's it's but it's cold like it's like five degrees celsius so you're not like in a winter gear but you're dressed warmly and there's this crisp smell in the air as you if you, especially if you're out like in nature but i have that sort of picture man you know there's like smoke coming from chimneys and i think thanksgiving and all that it's ray bradbury weather it's something wicked this way comes it's the october people it's that it's that time of year but the reality is what it what ends up normally happening is that it's raining a lot <laughs> yes. and it is dark and you're exhausted and you're you know i'm usually very busy in the fall with my work and me too and you don't get to do those things as much anymore but you know what i find that the bitch about living in ottawa is I always have a really fabulous fall coat that I can't wait to wear. But the way Ottawa mm-hmm. weather is, you get to wear it for three days. Yeah, exactly. And then you're in your minus zero, whatever, winter coat. Because this, I find the seasons 
change very rapidly here. I come from outside Boston. I come from Concord, Massachusetts. And there, autumn is a long, drawn-out process. It's a beautiful exhalation of breath. It's not like here where someone flips a switch. I I feel like with climate change, that that has become more, the season changes have become more abrupt. Yeah, it drives me nuts. But you know what we got to do? I'm going to make a vow to my listeners for October, for the month of October, which I consider Halloween month. The, 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 it's the paramount month of uh, autumn for me. I'm going to bring you some like nice autumn tales, some, some tales that suit that time of year. That's a good idea. So tonight I am going to call an audible. Are you all right with that? What? I'm calling an audible. I was going to talk about my desk drawer and I've decided to forego it. Okay. Uh, for two reasons. One, I'm not sure it's actually that interesting. And two, it's right next to me right now and I'm terrified of it. So I'm going to give it the space that it needs. What did you say calling an audible? Yes, a change, a last minute change. Okay, an audible. Well, yes, an audible, like in football. I've never heard that term. But you're a linguist. I thought that you you would know that word. When I heard audible, I thought of that thing that you get books. Oh. So I am not doing my uh, my desk drawer this week. That will have to save for a time when I've built up enough of uh, you know courage to tackle that very scary story. Pens go in there, Riley, and they never come out. Dan's desk drawer. It's the story of lubricant. All right. So the story that I would like to share with you is actually kind of near and dear to my heart, not because of the, the, the story itself, but because of where it takes place. This story takes place. You may have heard it, Ireland or the Emerald Isle, as some people refer to it as, have you heard of Ireland, Riley? Yes. Okay. So it, I, I, what I wanted to sort of talk about was a, a very specific place, the Wicklow County jail. And Wicklow, if you're not familiar with uh, the geography of Ireland, is just south of Dublin. It's actually quite close to Dublin. So it's on the uh, east coast of Ireland. Have you ever been to Ireland? Yes, briefly. Uh, Where did you go? We flew home from Dublin. I slept in a church. Oh, we got hitch- We were hitchhiking. We were flying home from Dublin and we got caught in a really bad rainstorm and there was a country church in the middle of nowhere. And we were like, please let the door be open. Please let it. And it was. Oh, wow. The storm was torrential and it lasted all the way until the next day. And we slept mm-hmm. in the church. Cool. And then you left the next, you left to go home the next day. And we left a note. Cool. Uh, so I, I have a a history with Ireland in that my grandmother is Irish. I've always felt an affinity for that part of my family, a deeper connection with that part of my family than with the other three quarters of my roots, which are French Canadian. Okay. My father's side of the family is uh, Acadian and uh, Quebecois. And my mother's father is, what are you doing? Oh, you're turning on a light. Okay. I turned on the light. <laughs> and my mother and my mother's side of the actually, this is a quick interesting aside that I just discovered. My mother's father uh, is a Le Brun, which translates to the Brown. That that family came to Canada in the 1760s. He was a French regular, a soldier, and he fought in a very famous Canadian battle that greatly shaped North America called the Plains of Abraham. Of course, the Plains of Abraham. Right. Fought just outside of Quebec City. And that war essentially decided the fate of North America. The French lost at the Plains of Abraham. The English won and basically dominated most of what we now know as um, uh, the United States and Canada, or at least the eastern parts of it. So he was at that battle and survived. And the English had a policy, I guess, that if you were willing to lay down your arms and, and write, you know, sign an oath that you wouldn't take those arms back up against them, that you could stay. And he had fallen in love with a girl in Quebec City. And here I am. 12. So he is 12 grandfathers removed. But all of that to say, the side of the family that I'm 
most partial to that I have a deeper affinity for the culture. And I don't know why, maybe it's because that I had a lot of cousins on that side and they were very Irish and it's very recent. My, my, the Irish side of my family has only been in Canada for just over a hundred years. When I went to Ireland for the first time, I land the, I've gone to, I've gone twice now. The first time we landed in Dublin and these, I had this, the strangest, oddest feeling as soon as the plane's wheels touched the tarmac of being home. And I mean that in the deepest, deepest, deepest sense, I was home. And what made it that much more beautiful, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my beautiful wife, was with me. And she is Irish. Like, she's full-blown. Like, she still has family there. Um, felt the exact same thing. And we didn't, it was, we didn't talk about this till later. But we, there was a spiritual, it was a spiritual moment. I was in the home of my ancestors. I'm, oh my God, so I'm getting choked up a little bit as I'm saying this to you. It's very strange. So Ireland is a very special place. Its history is something that I think is important. And I like to, I've read a lot about as, as a young man. So this story kind of, it's creepy and it's neat and it's interesting, but it also allows me to sort of talk about something that I care a lot about which is the Irish people and their history. Bravo. I love this. Yeah. So the, uh, the t- I mentioned the, the story takes place in Wicklow. And the place that I want to specifically talk about is, as I mentioned, the Wicklow County Jail, spelled G-A-O-L. And for years, I thought that was pronounced Gowl. Me too. Okay. <laughs> I, I, up to now. Up to right now. It's jail. It's just the old-fashioned way of, of saying it. Oh, for fuck's sake. Right? I've thought my whole life, because it's always in fantasy novels. The gall, gowls. Yeah, and, the yeah. gowl. I mean, I'm, it's probably so many people say it that I pro- it's probably acceptable to say it that way. Watch this. We'll, we'll have a listener come back and say, no, it is pronounced gail. I've asked my cat, who I live with in my mother's basement. This jail was built in 17... 17- Two. Hold on as I, I say this because, yeah, 1702. I, I didn't want to, I'm not looking at my notes right now. It's built in 1702. It's ancient. And this story starts in 1702, which I believe makes this now our oldest story in terms of how far back in the old time machine we're going. You got it. If you look at pictures of it, it very much looks like a building of that time. It looks like a castle. Like an old-fashioned castle, not like a pretty Castle Neuschwanstein Cinderella type thing, but a it's a fortress. Imagine a squat sort of keep with it's actually quite beautiful the stonework if you look at it. But the original the original building was this uh, this keep, and over the years they they got they had more additions as they needed more space. We'll get into that a little bit later. It has three story stone walls, so they're quite tall. In 1704, it was the first prison equipped with electrical fences. Ah. I made that up. There's Electricity didn't exist yet. I know. Oh, my God, Riley. I just didn't want to embarrass you. Prisoners in, this, uh, in the jail could be anybody. It could be men. It could be women. And lots and lots and lots of children. Super creepy. So, and they, they were just all together. I think originally they had uh, they had some cells, but a lot of people were just shackled to the floor. Oh, they were small cells. They would commonly have in a cell ten to fourteen people. Oh, but those were in the good times. It's like that insane. It's like Trans Allegheny. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. And so, but there were t- periods in its history where it could have hundreds of people in these small 30 square foot cells. Do you know what I immediately think of when you tell me that is pooping? Yeah. Well, and they did, right? Like how would like, you be so horrified to have to poop? Right. You know, like crime shows where they show you a cell and there's two guys in it and the toilet. I think mm-hmm. that would be horrifying to get up in the middle of the night and have a big Havana omelet. Yeah. There's zero privacy. Imagine being a child and they didn't segregate their prisoners. 
So men and women and children were all heaped into these cells together. What? That's right. So it must have been r- abundant with rape. Oh yeah. Oh God, this this is a horrible story. And not and not necessarily always though at the hands of who you think it would be the prisoners, but by the warden or and the jailers. I totally right? thought of that too. I that yeah. The women were often used in that in that way, and they did eventually have to start building. Uh, additions to it so they could hold more people. It was often a way place. It, this is not like there's an, uh, I actually visited Kilmainham jail in Dublin, which is actually, it's been in films like in the name of the father with Daniel day Lewis. It's not like that. This where that's like a complex. This is, this is a jail. This was a place that they held you either until you, you paid your fine and got out or because there were petty crimes being committed that got you in there. Or if you were going to be transported to Australia, and I'll get into that in a little bit, like a penal colony, or if you were going to be executed. And as we sort of paint the picture of what this place looked like, if you look at the front entrance, there's this main, this gate at the, at the bottom, and it was known as the gate of hell. Because as wow. soon as you crossed through, you were in hell. And yeah. it was notorious. This place was notorious and became a byword for brutality and corruption in Ireland. How could this place not be haunted, right? Uh, doing my research, it made me think a lot of Trans-Alleghany. Allegheny. Thank you. And where I think it was that episode where we talked about how energy, bad energy can maybe seep into the walls and, and you know. Yes, psychic batteries, yeah. So imagine that that the gate of hell, but directly above it, that's where the gallows were. Like you could look up as you're going in, knowing that that's maybe the way you're going to be coming out of there is through that door on the end of a rope. Bah. The history of this place, it was located in Wicklow, which was a, a place where there was a lot of, even at that early time, Republican unrest. So they needed a large prison. That's why they built it. The English overlords or British overlords would put a lot of people in that prison for some really shitty reasons. Like we went through the laundry list with um, with Trans Allegheny. Thank you, Trans Allegheny. Why can't I say it all of a sudden? But like the things that you would maybe do, for example, um, you know, stealing a loaf of bread could land you in that in that jail. And for some kids, that's that's exactly how they got there. It's very Les Miserables. It is very Les Miserables. So the initial conditions right from the get-go, and there was an older jail that had been there prior, but it had gone, it had really sort of broken down and wasn't appropriate by 1702 standards anymore uh, to hold many people. Uh, there was a, uh, I read about, there were people that were able to escape. It was breaking. It was like falling apart. So in 1702, they build this new jail. The very first jailer uh, that controlled the warden of the prison, he uh, he was wicked right off the hop, a really oh. bad guy. And that the jailer didn't answer to anybody. Uh, other, like he was the lord of that of that space. So he made up the rules. He determined, you know, how the quality of the food, how much food people got. An interesting note too: the the state uh, would pay him. He would, the idea was that he would take his wage out of the money they gave him, but then also use that money to buy food and clothing and. Oh, so what do you think happened? Well, of course. Oh Mm -hmm. God, what a terrible idea. Yeah. And so bedding and things like that, bedding often consisted of just straw on the floor. There were no beds. There was no proper latrines and things like that. So people were the, 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 with the old jail, people were held in these big rooms uh, and in the basement is where they would put the condemned. So the people who were going to be hung, you know, imagine what that was like being in the dark. There is no electricity. I'm sorry to, to break that to you. I know for years I've been telling Riley that electricity was discovered in 1485 by Columbus. Well, yeah, because I thought the American Revolution was all fought by flashlight. And lasers. Yeah, and lasers. Laser pointers. They did a slide presentation to the British that was filled with uh, false information. And the British accidentally sailed their fleet uh, into Brazil and crashed where that large statue of Jesus is on that mountaintop. I love that statue of Jesus. 
I'm obsessed with that weird statue of Jesus. Do you have any desire to go to Brazil? I I know you talked about um, your healer there. It's not a kind of place I think I want to be hanging out. So you wouldn't have also wanted to hang out in 1700s Ireland. In the Wicklow County Jail. So I mentioned earlier the Irish Rebellion of 1798. It's also known as the Rising. Uh, this was a... Um, a local uprising against British rule, and it did eventually end up in defeat for the rebels. Uh, what's interesting is that they actually had help from the French. The French landed soldiers uh, in Ireland that tried to help them, and some Bavarian mercenaries. But there, there was quite a high death toll. Twenty to 30,000, they estimate, died uh, in the battles that, that ensued. Like one of the, like the leader of the rebellion, a gentleman by the name of Wolf Tone, uh, he was imprisoned in Wicklow, and in fact he was executed. And what they would do with your body, by the way, when they'd execute you after they hung you, is they would, and this is going to be graphic. So if you've got little kids listening to this, uh, then you might this part you might not want them to listen to, but they'd chop off your head and then they would uh, mount the head on a on a pike. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would either bury your body in their yard or they would throw it into the river. And that was very common until fishermen in the area started to complain because they were saying it was polluting the river. Oh, God. Because they were finding body parts, right? Oh, and it's barf. gross. Barf, barf, barf. It also gives you a sense of how many people were being executed. It was pretty bad. The Wick- County Wicklow was a major area of conflict, and uh, they, they put a lot of the rebels, including Wolf Tone, in there. And uh, and then these people were, were being executed. I don't know how much time they spent in there. I think in Wolf Tone's case, it, there was some a lengthy period of time that he had to spend there. And that's important because he might be, might be one of the ghosts that continues to haunt the jail. Some of the other prominent people that that came through there uh, was uh, a gentleman by the name of William Billy Byrne and James Napper Tandy, who were also part of that rebellion. And again, these are guys who some people think whose ghosts continue to have a presence in the jail. Cool. Got all that? Yeah. Now, this is, I think, the this is the saddest. My family came from Ireland, and I, I believe it's 1904. My mom will call after and correct me on this, uh, as she always does when I say something about my family and I get it wrong. 1904, the same year that Robert the Doll was given to Jean. J- just saying. Yeah, and so they, the, the conditions on the ship that they came over were deplorable. My great-grandfather made it through the first... Waypoint, which is just outside Quebec City. The name of the island escapes me. But by the time he got to Montreal, he had become really sick, as did a lot of the the people that came over on these ships. In fact, these ships were often referred to as coffin ships because a lot of the people that, by the time they, they got to their destination, they were dead. One of the big motivators for people to leave Ireland was famine. And the most famous of all is the Great Hunger or the the, pota- the Irish Potato Famine. That one specifically lasted between 1845 uh, to 1849. And the most severely affected areas in Ireland were in the West and South. I've read, not in preparation for this show, but in the past, I've read there actually were enough potatoes to feed the people. But those potatoes were reserved for British soldiers and sent abroad and to feed garrisons and things like that. There was a potato blight going on at that time, but there were enough good potatoes still to feed the people. But instead of feeding the people, instead of taking care of their people, they let them starve or shipped them, you know, to other, to all points of the planet. So it was the, again, it's those Irish speakers that were, were most heavily hit. Get this during the famine, about 1 million people died and another million. And this is like eight, this is 1850s, uh, immigrated, which dropped the, and this is in a four-year period, dropped the population but somewhere between 20 and 25%. Holy shit. And I'm from Boston, right? I'm from Boston area and New York City, and that's probably where they get or they got the majority of their heavy Irish right. 
communities, right? Because New York and Boston, I mean, of anywhere in the States have massive Irish populations and it has to be from that period. Ottawa here has a very heavy Irish population and most of them came in the mid 1800s. I, and, I, and I think I mentioned to you maybe before we started recording that this was going to be a lot of history, but I, and I hope you bear with me here because it's a lot of history, but I'm with you. Yeah. I just, I, and it's, it's sort of setting the table a little bit for the eerie part that's to come. So the conditions in the jail at that time were horrific at the height of the famine in 1848, as many as 780 people were cramped into the jail's 77 cells. God, there's nowhere to move, right? It's, this is something right out of Dante's Inferno. It's that bad. And a lot of people, if they're not hung, they're dying. They're dying of disease. They're dying of exposure. They're dying of hunger. I would die from holding my poo. Oh, Riley. That's all I can think of when I think of situations like that is, oh my God, how do you poo? You can die from that. You can get, it gets compacted and you can have uh, a rupture. I know when I was in the hospital, when I was, when I was in my twenties, the guy next to me had a bowel obstruction and he died and he died in the middle of the night. Yeah. If septic shock. And you know, it's so interesting when someone That's terrible, I didn't know this when story. When someone dies in the hospital, they very quietly just whisk them away. Interesting. Like they, they, they tried to make as little noise and as little fuss as they could. Mm. I was really glad, honestly, I know it sounds awful of me and I'll burn in hell, but I was really glad he finally passed. Mm-hmm. Because he would just lay there all the all all day and night going, oh, oh my God, poor oh. guy. Oh. It was awful. Well, someone is with Crohn's. I spent at one time two weeks in the hospital with bowel issues. I was that guy. I didn't die, obviously, but sure felt like I was going to. And I was like, I, were you moaning? Oh yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd moan. I'd scream. You visited me. You were we were pretty lucid when I visited you. Well, I was also very much hopped up on some serious drugs. Right. Like I am now. Yeah. Okay. So the other the other uh, main reason why people were kept there, I mentioned before about um, uh, it being a way station, was the, the penal transportation. So many inmates of the jail uh, who had committed political crimes were often given a sentence of transportation, which meant that they were going to be exiled to Australia. And we think of Australia now as the beautiful beaches and, you know, some of the most gorgeous scenery and climate you can find in the world. But at that time, it was a very inhospitable and dangerous place. And many people didn't survive the journey there. And you know, Australia is the fucking spider and snake capital of the world. Honestly, I, I would like to go to Australia, but I, I'll, I'll be nervous. When I'm there, because I hate spiders. In certain parts of Australia, people put things in their shoes when they take them off, because you don't want to put your foot into a shoe because there might be a spider in it. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the people that were kept in the jail were also people that, um, and this was, and I bring this up because it was extremely common reason to be held in in Wicklow was because you're going to be, um, you were going to be transported. Really petty crimes could get you booted out. It was just an easy way for the, the overlords of the time to deal with a problem was just to, you know, but it wasn't executable was to just get rid of them and send them away. But I guess in the end of the day, it turned out great for, I mean, look how wonderful of a place Australia is now. So the other, the other one last thing I, I want to mention before I get into the sort of um, eerie part of this jail is the children of Wicklow. So, some of these kids could be put in jail for stealing a loaf of bread because they were hungry. And in some cases, they never left. Like a lot of these children died in the jail. And I know that they had a different sort of impression of children back then and, and their view of childhood and, and kind of more viewed as little adults, but still. Well, especially in the, especially in the British Isles. I find that that era in the British Isles, they had a very specific view of what childhood was like. Yeah. Yeah. The youngest recorded child uh, in the jail was a little boy named Thomas Pitt. And he was eight years old and he was imprisoned and whipped, whipped, whipped for stealing two shillings from a woman's purse. Imagine doing that to an eight. My daughter's nine. That's little. It's little. You're a little, little, little person. 
So the children and the children were, they did not show them any mercy. In fact, in, in many cases, they treated them more harshly and almost like playthings compared to the adults. One of the torture devices they had in this place was something called the treadmill. And I, I, there, there's a picture of it. It's this giant, almost looks like a water wheel, but, but longer. So they would put you on the treadmill and you had to keep up. And if you didn't, you could get trampled and crushed. Or if you didn't, then you would get whipped. And they'd put children on there with adults. And those kids often had a really tough time keeping up with the adults. So in theory, I guess it was, this was a way of giving them exercise. It was really a, a torture uh, device. Was there any silver lining here? Was the treadmill being used to like grind up corn or anything or up power a sewing machine? No. It was just there. Okay. It was just there. Growth. The other, uh, another form of torture they used, and again, with children, but also adults, was something called the shot drill. And it was a, a large iron ball the prisoner was forced to hold. And if you dropped it, then you were beaten or whipped. Um, and then flogging. Flogging happened all the time in, in the jail. And it was, um, it was just a, a place of incredible anguish and pain and sorrow incredible have you ever been to um the jail here in ottawa the old jail no but you talked about it you talked about it in um yeah trans allegheny i think yeah and it, it that place was it has a bad vibe to it but it, they weren't like that at least that we know of and certainly it wasn't institutionalized torture and, and things like that a couple of years ago friends of mine wanted to go see because you know kingston penn uh, mm -hmm. There's a for people who aren't familiar with this area in Canada. There's a city called Kingston, and it had a very large, notorious penitentiary there. Well, it's probably the most famous prison in Canada. Yeah, and you could go on tours of it. And I just don't know if I want to do that. I don't either. And and after reading everything I've read about this place, I'm not sure I would ever want to go. And something I'll, I'll mention in a little bit: a lot of the people who do go there don't ever want to return. And I'm not averse to going to Kingston Penitentiary because I think that there's psychic phenomena there. I just don't mm -hmm. want to see that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the same way I feel about war movies. Um, a, a lot of my friends love movies like 1917 and everything. And I, I like them too, but I also don't want, I'm not that interested in the darker side of our character. I'm interested in the mm. things that we do that make the world brilliant and bright rather than a cruel and gross place. And like, a lot of people say to me, well, it was exactly like what war was like. Well, I don't want to know that. Right. I right, really right. have no interest in knowing that. Which is why you are always asking go, to go to Legoland. Oh, I go to Legoland. I just did a Lego van. It was amazing. Oh, there we go. I love Lego. So this prison had a series of extensions, as I mentioned earlier, in the mid-1800s. Eventually, in 1900, it's closed down. It's briefly reopened after the Easter Rebellion and then the Irish War of Independence and, uh, and Civil War. The last prisoners left in 1924. It was then abandoned and went into massive disrepair. In the 1990s, the prison was restored because of its historical significance. And in 1998, it was reopened as a museum. So you can still go to visit. And I've looked, I actually went to the, the museum's website which is where actually I started my research. Thank you, because they have a wonderful website if they happen to listen to this. I'd be tempted to go because it looks so well done. They really try to educate you on what happened and the plight of the, the Irish people. So the hauntings, Riley, are you ready for this? These are There's a collection of stories. Some of these are one-offs. Some of these are really common, okay? Over the years, the jail, since it's reopened, uh, has earned a reputation of being very haunted and no big surprise there. In 2018, the jail was featured in World's Largest Ghost Hunt, and the property also appeared in Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters International. And both those shows, I know how you feel about <laughs> I know exactly what kind of shows those are. But they both, they both said it's one of the most haunted locations in the world. Of course they did. Yeah. The events I'm going to list, some of them are from staff, some of them are from these shows, and I'll, I'll sort of mention some of these are common experience experiences. So one of the most common one, common ones is a cold, eerie, and green mist floating around the main floor cells. Many people have seen this. Oh, I like this. Mist. 
A green mist, no less. A green mist. Another one is, and this is a common one, a man is seen walking from cell 19 to the end of the walkway. And some people have commented that he he typically holds his hands behind his back. And he'll sort of go back and forth along the platform back to his cell. So if you were to look at the main hub of the prison, it's kind of like what you'd picture where there's a big common area with cells in the wall and then another deck and then another deck. Cell 13 uh, apparently makes people feel extremely uncomfortable and apprehensive. Uh, Another one, and this is a common one and an interesting one. One of the ghosts that many people claim to see is a lady, a woman in her late 20s, dressed completely in black. And she will walk in and out of cell 22 on the first floor. And some people postulate that perhaps it is matron Mary Morris who was the matron of the prison in the 19th century. And what's interesting about her is that she actually, so she was married to the jailer, Mr. Morris, and she actually tried to perform. Why why are you laughing? I can't remember his first name. I know, Steve, we're like, Mr. Morris. Mr. Morris, yeah. (laughs) Um, She actually believed in prison reform. They were there at the time when the, the jail went through some expansions, and she really believed in uh, trying to educate the women that she worked with and, and taught them reading, writing, and arithmetic. There's, a, there's some theories out there that perhaps her spirit is still there acting as a matron to these other spirits. Oh, I'm glad she was nice. I thought, I thought it was going to turn out that she was awful. I was too when I first read about her, and I, she didn't die there, so it's possible it's not her if this ghost is actually walking the prison floor, but it could be. Some people think that maybe just the way she was dressed and things like that, that it was maybe um, Mary Morris. In the museum, there is a replica of one of the transportation ships, and people have seen some weird things connected with that. Uh, One of the things that people will see is shadows crawling along the lower decks. And when I read that, it made me think of ghost when those shadowy creatures come and take away the evil people. What's ghost? What that movie? With yes, with Demi Moore and and Patrick Swayze. Oh, ghost! Stupid movie. Well, it, that part was scary with the shadow creatures. Stupid movie. That's the noise they made. That was awful. That's spooky, right? Anyway, I think it's those creatures. The other thing people hear is the sound of children crying on the upper decks. This is a common one. Oh. And and I'm going to be honest with everybody. I've read this from a few different sources. I think they mean the upper decks of the ship, but it could also mean the upper like upper decks, like the, the upper walkways. So if someone, again, from uh, Wicklow knows and wants to to school me then please feel free to do that how big is the replica of the ship well it's not like the whole ship it's like a cutaway of the ship okay right yeah life-size but cutaway sort of at least one medium has entered the jail and claimed to have made contact with erskine childers and he was a london-born author and avid sailor but also a firm believer in ireland as a free nation and Childers used his yacht, the Asgard. I love this. He's like a 1700 um, superhero. Uh, he used his ship to smuggle guns into the east coast of Ireland. He was arrested. And uh, sorry, not 1700s. He's uh, uh, 20th century. He was, uh, and he was uh, convicted and executed by firing squad at the jail in 1922. Ooh. Yeah. So this medium claims to have made contact with him. Over the last 10 years, tourists and jail staff have been baffled. And this is a very common one and apparently one that staff and a huge number of visitors have seen. But uh, there's an appearance of a young boy in the prison's schoolroom. So with some of the reforms they had, they had a room where people could go and learn. He appears often. He'll just sort of stand there. Uh, no one knows exactly who he is, and that's not a big surprise because there was a lot of children that went through there. I'm thinking of that young girl that apparently you know haunts such trans Transalleghany Lily. So I think of of that story, um, but no one knows who uh, who he is. 
Mary Comerford, who works there as a guide, uh, is no longer surprised when visitors approach her telling her that they've seen this boy uh, because she says he's that common. People see him all the time. She's quoted as saying, it's always in the same places. I feel him there most of the time. Not long ago, a young boy from an American family stood behind me to take a photograph and a red silhouette of the boy appeared in the shot. Oh, I love ghost photography. A man is also another another one. A man is seen walking in front of the bars to the holding cell. This is an interesting one and a common one. Strange smells come from cell five. Some people say the smells are of roses, but most say it's just a really, really, really bad smell, like the smell of death. Because they were traumatized because they couldn't poo. Well, it's ghost poo. It's ghost poo! Uh, Mary Comerford, who I just mentioned, uh, tells how a young staffer was standing behind the gates of hell. So that that's the entrance that I mentioned before that used to be the, the entrance to the jail. It's no longer. They've moved inside now. I'm assuming they have more a modern door or something. But he was standing by and he got pu- pushed really hard from behind and there was no one there. And uh, this has happened apparently several times. You're going to like this one. Recently... A group of primary school students from Austria were dumbstruck when the hanging mist that I mentioned earlier latched onto their teacher and enveloped her in a huge ball moving with her. (laughs) You know, I'm picturing I'm picturing little kids from Austria and their little little suit coats and little ties. Oh no. What's happening to Mrs. Schwarzenfeld? I must have chocolates. I must have chocolates. <laughs> oh, this is funny. Um, an, a reporter for the Irish Times, Connor Pope, uh, who's a bit of a skeptic. I, I read he had a, an article where he talked about a lot of different haunted places, and he was kind of funny. He reminded me a little bit of you and I uh, in that one article I read, at least. And he's quoted as saying, on one occasion, and he's talking about being in Kilmainham, or not Kilmainham, sorry, uh, Wicklow. On one occasion, a mystic held a seance and sought out prisoners to talk to. (laughs) All I remember is a table shaking violently as a ghost called Willie tried to get in touch with us. Harder, Willie! Harder! Push it harder! You've got to be kidding. Harder, Willie, harder. Harder. Push it it harder. Yeah. On another occasion, this one is interesting. On another occasion, an elderly woman passed out in cell 12, which tells the story of the Wicklow rebel, Billy Byrne, who I mentioned earlier. The fainting lady refused to continue the tour. She later reported that she felt a pressure around her neck and that she couldn't breathe. Billy was hanged in that jail, and many people think that Billy himself, as maybe some of the other rebel leaders are just trying to be heard. This is another interesting one. Lucy Kennedy, who is an Irish TV host, did a special, a Halloween special in the jail. I think this was seven years ago. And she said, once the lights were turned off, everything changed. She sort of thought, and I'm going outside the quote here for a second, closing the quote for a second. She was very skeptical and kind of joking around with this. Yeah, if it's a TV station, that's what I expect, yeah. So she said, once the lights were turned off, everything changed. Something was feeling my hair. My legs were being touched. I know myself that this happened. It definitely happened to me. I have no doubt about that. It's a really creepy place. So Nick Sheridan, who was also there for that same broadcast, uh, said something very similar. He said, when we were in cell number 13 on the ground floor, Lucy and our producer Kathy could feel something pulling their hair. I walked into the cell and stood in the corner beside them. Our guides, Patrick and Mary, asked the spirits there to make themselves known to us to give us a sign of their presence. All of a sudden, out of the blue, I felt a pop right behind my left ear and a rush of wind as if someone had just blown a puff into it. It was so close and so definite. It was such a shock. I freaked out, absolutely freaked out. I was in the corner there and no one was standing behind me. I do believe that it was a spirit. And what's interesting, people who know both of them have said these aren't the types that would make something like this up, which we've mentioned before in other episodes. So they do believe that they experienced that. All 11 of the current staffers at the museum claim they were overcome one evening when the entire floor 
started to move underneath them. Ooh. Yeah. And many people that go to this jail really cannot wait to get the hell out and never want to come back again. I read a great blog, and I'm going to finish with this. Okay. By Sinead Murphy. Her blog is called My Real Ireland. Really well done. So if anyone knows Sinead, uh, you can let her know that I'm a fan. She wrote this about the jail. You are in the company of both the heroes and villains who are housed here. And for me, it is safe to say that some never left. Wicklow Jail is known as one of Ireland's most haunted buildings. And for me, there is no doubt in my mind that once some people entered inside these walls, they certainly never left. I cannot offer you any evidence, only a deep feeling I got in certain areas of the jail, in one cell in particular, and on the ground floor. I've never experienced anything like it. As I walked the corridors, I got the feeling that somewhere, in an unusual way, I wasn't alone. That there was always someone watching. Mm. Riley, that is the long story and history of the Wicklow County Jail. So, uh, unlike Trans-Allegheny, there's not a lot of identification of who these spirits are. You mentioned the matron one, I think. People were pretty sure it was her. But the rest of them, it's anybody's guess. The only, yeah, either Matron Mary Morris or the um, some of those rebel leaders. Mm-hmm from the different different rebellions that occurred. Look, folks, like I know some people listen, really, really, really believe. I want to believe. I've never had a supernatural experience. I've spent lots of time in, the, in our jail that's supposed to be very haunted. I wanted to experience it. I didn't. That being said, I'm not saying they don't exist. Nor do I. I've had moments in my life where things have happened that are a bit yeah. odd and not explained and weird. And yeah. yeah. I, but I still find them interesting. I will say this, that place, I talked a lot about the numbers of people and the, sh- the stupid, shitty things that could land you in there and basically be a life sentence because you were trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the reason why there's not an identifiable ghost is that there's just too many people that went through there. I'm not even sure if they have a proper documentation of who went in, why they went in, and how long they stayed. Yeah, It was extremely corrupt. It was very broken. And perhaps that's why we just don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and, I, and, and like the, the Trans-Allegheny story, I like the idea, like I said before, the first time I ever came across it was in Stephen King's description of the overlook in The Shining. And I like the idea of places are like batteries. Mm-hmm. And they the charge that builds up over time when bad things happen eventually reaches mm-hmm. a point where it becomes, it manifests. And I can't imagine that a place like a prison which saw so much suffering and needless suffering wouldn't have a big psychic thumbprint on it uh, exactly and he, and I, I should also mention i felt that going into kilmainham in dublin mm-hmm. first of all it's just shocking to see how they forced people to live oh yeah but there's a vibe there there's a very sad sad energy you know and so whether or not these ghosts exist i think this is an important piece of history this is the irish people's history but it's also a history that seems to get replayed over and over and over to many different people of all walks of life and creeds and it's something that hopefully one day we learn not to continue to repeat amen brother amen yeah so we're in this train is in the station Oh, I guess the journey is over. So the train is yeah. safely housed in the station once again. What happens to the train, though, when it's housed? They clean it. Who? People who work at night. Okay, so that was a great story. I Thank you. Thanks for be- bearing with me. And yeah. um, I know this was a huge change of pace for us because I'm usually um, a bit sillier than I was maybe in this show. You hit us over the head with the history mallet. Well, I tried not to. You did, and it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes we need to, sometimes you need to understand the history of something to yeah. understand its significance. Context is everything. Well, and that, thank you. That's exactly what I was trying to provide was context. I could have just listed off these ghost stories and we, well, it, it just, I don't think it would have been as interesting without knowing sort of the energy and vibe of the of those poor people that were forced to go through and you know, stay in some cases forever Yeah, in the, uh, in the jail. Or be mm-hmm. executed in the most publicly awful way. 
hanging is the most vulgar thing in the oh can you imagine watching it no oh and 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 people did people do Mm-hmm. I mean, it still happens. I can't. It still happens. I, I still, I can't, because you could see stuff like that on the internet. If you want to look hard mm-hmm. enough, it's very easy to find. I can't do it. I never want to see wanna that. I don't want to fucking see it either. I don't want to see it. Hey, by the way, I just want to say the train pulled into the station and then pulled back out because we're talking Sorry. again. This is a long episode and we love it. And okay. Um, thank you, Dan. That was a great story. I'm glad. Just remember, folks, that if uh, you enjoy uh, what you're listening to, feel free to rate us on uh, the platform that you're currently listening to us on, if it's an option. And if you have any show ideas or comments, you just want to say hi. We love to hear from you our fans and uh yeah thanks so much for listening yeah we really really appreciate it we love doing this and we're doing it for you guys we just want to share these amazing stories with the world so there you go all right well uh top of the morning to you riley absolutely and i sent in shit to the wearing of the green shoes and the buckles. I get my green shoes and the buckles, my wooden spoons. I'm going to go play. Oh, I should have played an Irish tune out, but I guess. Do you, remember the, do you remember the wearing of the green shoes? It's from Porky Pig. It's from Bugs Bunny. So no. He would try to steal the leprechaun's gold and they sentenced him to the wearing of the green shoes, which just dance oh. constantly. Da, 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 da. Oh, I yeah. Do they just won't that. stop dancing. It's the wearing of the green shoes. Should I, should I close out the show the same way that I started it with a song? Go ahead. In Dublin's fair city, where the girls are so pretty, I first laid me eyes on sweet Molly Malone. She wheeled her wheelbarrow through streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and mussels, alive, alive, oh. 